Hey, before we get into the show, I wanted to mention Bigger Pockets is hiring a full-time supervising producer for our podcast network. This is a remote position and a chance to work with an amazing team, if we do say so ourselves. We're looking for someone with at least a couple of years experience managing production teams and someone who will feel confident taking the lead when launching new podcasts. So would you or someone you know be a great fit? You can find the full job description at biggerpockets.com forward slash jobs. Again, that's biggerpockets.com forward slash jobs to apply for an open podcast producer job. Now, enjoy the show. This is Real Estate Rookie episode 151. I was driving and I was feeling burnt out and I was really hoping that I could kind of pull back, but I couldn't. I felt these golden handcuffs. And for me, that's when I was like, okay, so what do I have to do to kind of put myself on a path toward freedom? And for me, that was personal finance and getting into real estate. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. Tony, it has been like a month since we have recorded. So why don't you just give an overview to everybody of what the Real Estate Rookie Podcast is? The Real Estate Rookie Podcast is here to inspire, to educate, to motivate all of those new investors who want to get started in the world of real estate investing, but aren't sure where to start. So we break it down, give you the basics and help you get off on the right foot. When we were recording today, we have a great guest, Daniel. When we were recording, we had to like go through our checklist because it's been so long (laughs) that we were recording. Okay, what do we need to touch on? What do we have to do? And kind of review before we got started. But you guys will notice one thing different. My background, if you're watching on YouTube, I am not in my closet. So I recently, this past week, I went snowboarding in Colorado and I... Hit a couple trees. (laughs) (laughs) Real nice and casual about it. Yeah. So I ping ponged off some trees going in a woods trail and I am now sitting here on the couch with my leg elevated with some ice, knee brace, crutches and waiting to go to an orthopedic surgeon on Monday. So we'll see. But I think it's a, a ligament that I tore. So we'll find out. Just another day in the life of Ashley Care. You never know what you're going to get, you know? One day it's bull riding in uh, in New Orleans. The next day it's ping-ponging off of trees in Denver. You never know. But it's a, it's a fun story. I'm glad I get a first row seat for all of this, though. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, like, so many other things that happened on this trip. It, like, there was a windstorm in Buffalo, so the flight was delayed. So I had to stay overnight in Buffalo because there was no sense of going home. Then on my way home, there was a windstorm in Denver. So I had to end up spending the night in Detroit because I missed my connection. So, yeah, it was interesting. My first time, well, it's my first time ever on crutches. And then having to travel being on crutches is definitely interesting. So, um, but there were, there were some good things that happened while you're in Denver as well, right? I hear something about some commercial property. Something's happening. Give us the update. Yeah. So while I was in Denver, I was actually there with my business partner and we were meeting with Tyler Madden and his wife, Zosha, who Tyler's been on the podcast before. And you guys could probably see him on social media if you're on Instagram at Tyler Madden. But we just had like a brainstorming mastermind a whole day Sunday. That was awesome. And then on Monday, we went to a real estate meetup. But also on Monday, my business partner and I got our offer accepted on a 700 acre campground. So we are beyond excited about this. And now the work begins. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start on 700 acres. Like that's so intimidating to me to think about that much land. So I'm all the more, I think, 
impressed with your courage on taking down something that big. It's amazing. Yeah, it's. I was actually surprised how many people already doubt me. I have a an agent that I've worked with on a, some other smaller deals and stuff. And she even said to me, oh my gosh, are you sure about that? And even when I had my check written for the down payment, the bank that I was using to get the, the check out of, I'm a have a good relationship with that person. And they were like, are you really sure about this? This is a big undertaking. <laughs> and I just haven't had uh, people doubt me like that for a while. So it's uh, it's going to be a good challenge. There you go. Well, hey, I'm not doubting you at all. I got nothing but faith and confidence in you. And it's nice when people kind of challenge you in that way. Like I'll, I'll never forget, just a like quick side story. When we bought our first property in Joshua Tree, I told that agent, I said, hey, my goal is to buy one property every quarter. And he looked at me and he kind of laughed and he was like, man, you're pretty ambitious, right? We ended up buying one almost every month, right? Like we bought 12 in the last 12 months. So it just let it that, drives you, know, you right. You know, yeah, it's like, it gives okay. you that little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome, Ash. I'm, I'm excited for you. Yeah. So what's new with you? Yeah, actually really exciting. So we sold our first turnkey Airbnb flip about three weeks ago now really excited to kind of start building up this part of our business. We have our second turnkey flip we just listed uh, about three days ago now. And if you guys want to see the flips, you guys can follow me on Instagram at Tony J. Robinson. I usually post them all there. But, you know, I think actually the better place to follow is his wife, Sarah, because (laughs) her Instagram pictures and her reels are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. She's got this recurring like cropped image of us. And she just like plops on every every house we buy. So she's at Sarah Rad. So S-A-R-A. Anyway, follow me on Instagram. You'll find her profile pretty easily. But yeah, that, that's been really cool to see because we, we've we done renovations in the past, but we've never like actually flipped before. So this, you know, it's just like a different, cooler thing for us to do. So we got the flips going on. And I spent a lot of time in the, in the past couple of weeks just kind of trying to get my goals in place for 2022. So we've got our, our single family stuff kind of nailed down. I'm kind of putting my team together for our, our commercial business as well. So things are moving. Exciting things. Yeah, because you got to hang out with Brandon Turner a little bit in Vegas and also Tyler Madden, who I was just with. You were with him making your goals, everything about the day before I saw him. So we had a a joke the whole weekend that Tyler had been hanging out with Tony and Brandon, the two greatest podcasts ever (laughs) to going to slumming it with the okayest podcast host ever. (laughs) So yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. 
Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Ricky and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so we are going to bring on today's guest, Daniel. Daniel is a doctor and he is going to talk to you guys about personal finance, turnkey properties, taking on your own burr and what that mindset shift looks like, starting to take properties on your own and moving away from that turnkey model. So let's get to the show. Daniel, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie, brother. Super happy to have you with this, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Yeah, for those of you that are not watching this on YouTube, Daniel's got like a really cool art history collection going on in the background. So putting mine and Ashley's background to shame. But for a change, Ashley is not in her closet today. She's in her living room. So she's got like a, a pretty decent background there. But Daniel, we're not here to talk about- Are you saying this is better than my closet? Because usually it's not decent. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you read between the lines as you uh, as you yeah. choose. But Daniel, we're not here to talk about your art history collection. We're here to talk about real estate, brother. So why don't you give us, the listeners, a little background on who you are, how you got started in real estate. Yeah, absolutely. So again, my name is Daniel Shin. I'm a surgeon. I'm a real estate investor and I'm a blogger and sort of educator at the Arvinian Doctor, sort of my, my alter ego. And basically a few years ago, I um, went through this sort of awakening that I wanted to become financially independent. And although a lot of people think that it's easy as sort of a high income professional, it's actually not. You have to make a lot of intentional steps. And that led me down the path of sort of like personal finance and then to real estate now. And over the past few years, I've grown a portfolio of about 28 units. And I, I say about because I, I hope that uh, it's going to be 27 next week because I'm selling off a problem property. Yeah. I had a different comment, but you said selling off a problem property, which reminds me, I still have a property for sale in Streetport, Louisiana. We've reduced the price, I think, two times in the last week. So we're, we're honestly now at this point, actually, we're going to sell it at a loss. We owe like 130 on it. We have it listed right now for 129. So we're literally just trying to get rid of it at this point. Anyway, sorry, brought up bad memories for me, Dan. But I wanted to go back to something that you said. You said that a lot of people assume that because you're a surgeon, that it's easier to achieve financial freedom. But you said a lot of times it's not. And I think that's a lot of people would, would hear that and they kind of question why you would say that, because when people see big incomes, they automatically assume that there's a, a really easy path to financial freedom. So can you kind of let's break that down a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the one of the most common questions or criticisms I get on social media when I talk about money and everyone says, you make a high income. You don't have any right to talk. You're set. And 
it's absolutely true that a high income makes it easier to do a lot of these things, but you can only use the money that you actually save. And I, I think that's one of the things that people don't realize. No matter how much money you make, you can spend above and beyond that. And if you're not making those intentional choices to kind of put yourself on that good financial path, you're not going to be able to build wealth no matter how much money you make. Daniel, if you had to start all over again, was there something different you would have done in the beginning, maybe even the beginning of your career or when you were going to school to set yourself up? So maybe if somebody's listening that's going to med school right now or is a doctor, what would be your advice to them about getting started in real estate? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. And I think for me, I don't know if I would necessarily change anything. When I was young, I had a very sort of idyllic early childhood. We were growing up in suburban New Jersey. My dad worked in New York and I think he was doing commercial real estate actually. And then at the end of the 80s, I'm kind of dating myself, but at, at the end of the 80s, there was a recession and my dad's whole job kind of went to crap. And all of a sudden we went from this nice idyllic suburban life and things changed overnight. We lost our house to foreclosure. We had to move, literally load everything up into a moving van one weekend. We moved across town to a rental. And there were some really tough years where my mom struggled to even put food on the table for dinner. Things were really tough. So one of my goals in early childhood was to get a job later on that would be well-paying with good financial stability so my own family and my own kids wouldn't have to experience that. And for me, I also wanted to help people and I kind of understood what doctors did. So my goal early on was to become a physician. And to do that, I had to do the whole thing like get good grades, go to good college, get into med school. And one after another, I was able to do all that. And then once things finally got rolling, I, I got through six years of surgical training and then I started making that attending salary. I, in a lot of ways, felt like I had finally done it. But then a couple of years into my practice, I was overworked. I was driving 10 hours a week on with my commute here in Los Angeles and I was feeling burnt out. But I was also feeling trapped because I had made that sort of mistake where you expand your lifestyle to your paycheck. So we had bought the doctor house. I was driving an expensive car and I was really hoping that I could kind of pull back in my practice a little bit, but I couldn't. I felt these golden handcuffs. And for me, that's when I was like, okay, so what do I have to do to kind of put myself on a path towards freedom? And for me, that was personal finance and getting into real estate. But by that point, I had the sort of income to do that and make those changes. And so I don't know if I would necessarily change anything when I think back. Daniel, when you did decide that you wanted to get more into learning about personal finance and real estate investing, what was the first action step you took towards getting your first property? So basically, it came from a lot of immersion into the world of personal finance and real estate investing. So I started listening to Bigger Pockets. I had so much time in the car where I wanted to poke my eyes out because of the traffic. And instead, if I put on a podcast from Bigger Pockets, I started thinking about and visualizing a life that was different. It was like a gateway drug, right? So, you know, I'd be able to listen to podcasts and start formulating a plan. So before that point, I was mostly into stocks. Like my plan to get to financial independence was to invest into stocks, do that for like 15 or 20 years, and then have a big pot of money, right? But what I realized is that you can get there a lot faster through the cash flow of real estate investing. So I actually sold $100,000 of stocks. I had a few stocks that had done sort of really well. Luckily, you know, it was all blind luck, but I had some Amazon, Apple, et cetera. And I just sold it because I knew that I would incur sort of a capital gains tax. But 
that's what I needed. Because if I had this pot of money burning a hole in my pocket, I knew that would provide me the motivation to start down the real estate investing path. Daniel, you made a you made a point that I want to go back to about lifestyle creep. You know that you you put in all the hard work, you went to med school, did everything you needed to do, you finally got the salary, the financial security that you were looking for, but then you allowed your your other expenses to kind of meet that new income that you had. And I think that's human nature, right? I think that that's what everyone kind of struggles with as their income starts to grow. But it just makes me think of this, I guess, these two kind of competing paths to financial freedom. Like if you listen to Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey is all about controlling your your expenses and eating beans and rice and selling the car and not doing this and not doing that. And then if you look at someone like Grant Cardone, Grant Cardone's like, I'm going to buy as much coffee as I want, but I'm going to focus on selling hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate. So there's this one school of thought that's focused on living way, way, way below your means, almost to the point that it's you know, like unbearable. Then you have this other end of the spectrum that's all about just focus on the income, the expenses will take care of themselves. But what I've found is that you probably need a little, little bit of both. You need to be conservative with your expenses and kind of find a, a happy medium of still enjoying life, but still thinking of your future, but then just as aggressively focusing on exploding your income. Because I noticed my real estate life changed when I was able to kind of blend those two things together. So I'm just making a comment here, but I'm just curious, Ash, maybe you can start first. Like, what are your thoughts on kind of finding the balance between those two things? Yeah. So when I actually was a Dave Ramsey follower, (laughs) I wanted to pay off my debt, but I had already started real estate investing. So for me, it was, I was taking all my cash flow to pay off my debt. So I was still investing because I was doing the birth strategy where I wasn't using any of my own money and then just using that to pay off my debt. And now I just have mortgages, but but no personal (laughs) debt, not vehicles or anything like that. But it's still such a, it's kind of, I'm looking at it a different way even now. Like I always just thought, I don't want any personal debt. I want to own my cars free and clear. But then you also hear people talk about, well, a car loan is only 3% interest. Why wouldn't you take that money instead of paying cash for a car and go and put it into a property and have that cash flow pay for your car? So it really is a mix of mindset and how do the numbers work out? Because for me to keep a mortgage on my primary residence, that is super cheap money to me because that's the lowest mortgage I'm going to get is on my personal residence. But it's also a mindset thing for me. I want to own my home free and clear. So I think it's really just like a mix of both and what helps you sleep at night too. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's a mix. And I think a lot of it actually depends sort of where you are in your financial journey. Because if you're sort of just, you're having a hard time making ends meet, you're drowning in credit card debt. I absolutely think that Dave Ramsey will probably help you because you got to buckle down. You got to sell that car that's sucking away your paycheck. You got to make some changes. But if you're sort of maybe a little bit along your financial journey where you, you have a bit more means and you're thinking about where do I spend this extra that I have as a gap between my income and my expenses, I think that it's really relevant to start thinking about the worth of your money in terms of growing assets versus paying down debt. I think this is especially relevant for people who do a lot of professional school and end up with hundreds of thousands of student debt. When I graduated residency, I literally had $300,000 of student debt. And then I could have spent the next five years aggressively paying that down. But instead, after a couple of years, when I went through all of my sort of financial awakening, I was like, look, I'm going to start investing that. I can make a much higher return 
investing that extra money that I have instead of paying down this debt that I had at like 3% interest rate, right? So I know that a lot of personal finance kind of writers and thinkers are all about getting rid of debt, but I think that it's really important to think about sort of the five or 10 year horizon. You're going to end up with a lot more money if you invest that smartly, in my opinion. You'll probably have more risk along the way, but you know, if you can stand that risk and it's not going to be a psychological burden to you, I think you're much better off investing. Yeah, Daniel, thanks for kind of opening up that can of worms. And obviously, you know, this isn't the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. You guys can go hang out with Scott and Mindy when they when they drop those <laughs> episodes. But Ash and I, you know, we talk about this all the time that your personal kind of financial position plays a big and very important role in your ability to become a successful real estate investor. So I know there are a lot of people out there right now that maybe hear Daniel's story and say, well, I'm not a doctor. I can't get started in real estate investing. And if that's what you're thinking, you're missing the point. The point is wherever you're at, Focus on controlling your expenses, focus on growing your income, and you can you know, follow a lot of what Daniel said here. So I want to talk a bit about your portfolio. Did you have something to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not about how much money you have. It's about how you manage the money that you do have. So even if you have a low paying job, living below your means is what's important and saving that extra little bit of cash that can help you get towards your first deal. Maybe we need to have like a like a side hustle episode where we just like bring people on and, and talk about like the different side hustles they've had to kind of help fund their real estate career. That that might be cool. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, Darren, let's talk about your your portfolio. You kind of mentioned the top of the show, but just give us like a, a thirty thousand foot view of where your portfolio is today, and then you can kind of take us on the journey of how you got started. Sure, my real estate portfolio currently is. 90% long-term rental. I started out with a couple of turnkey single-family homes, kind of scattered in the sort of Midwest and Southwest. And then I actually focused more on sort of more active real estate investing in Indianapolis. And I purchased over the last three years, uh, four duplexes and two small apartment buildings. One of the apartment buildings is seven units. The other apartment building was eight units, and I'm trying to make it a 10 unit, but it's kind of fighting me. And I just bought a short-term rental in Palm Springs that I'm furiously sort of renovating now. And we just got the uh, gunite poured for the pool in the back. So that was a huge milestone. Daniel, congratulations. That's Thank an you. awesome portfolio. And I can't wait to be invited out to Palm Springs and that uh, house is done. <laughs> it's hopefully going to be really awesome. Yeah, cool. So let's start from the very beginning. You started out with turnkey. So please tell everyone what a turnkey investment is. And then let's talk about how you even found out that you wanted to invest in the Midwest in those markets. Absolutely. So a turnkey rental is basically, I think it's a nice gateway into real estate investing, especially if you have a lot of fear and sort of anxiety about the process, because a turnkey company will essentially take a lot of the guesswork out of it for you. They will find a distressed property. Their team will renovate it and figure out what's wrong with the property. And then they'll sell it to an investor at a kind of a retail price, but they'll take care of often finding a tenant and doing the property management. And they're kind of selling you a whole package. So when I was thinking about getting into real estate investing, I didn't know much about it to start. And I kind of wanted that sort of hand-holding experience. So I focused on a couple of areas where I felt that the cash flow would be better. So sort of the Midwest and the Southeast. And so my first property was actually in Birmingham, which is, a, I think, a well-known sort of cash flow market. And a company down there basically sold me a already renovated house for $92,000. And this property, I think, is a black sheep of my portfolio. And I'm actually hopefully selling it on Monday. 
but it was the gateway that kind of got me started. So I'm really, I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with it. It was my first deal, my worst deal, but it got the ball rolling. And now, you know, I think I'm going to essentially net very little on the property because of septic tank issues, which I'll talk about later if you guys want me to. But it was what kind of got the ball rolling. Can I ask one follow-up question? I guess first, what what is the benefit of the turnkey model? Like for someone like yourself, and then the, the follow-up question to that is, how did you find a turnkey operator that you trusted enough to invest with? Yeah, no, great questions. Uh, so basically, I think the benefit is that it takes a lot of the risk out of the renovation aspect. So since that experience, I've more focused on the burr strategy, but if you're buying a turnkey product, they've already done the renovation for you. So if someone is going to find out that the it's knob and tube wiring in the walls or if the sewer line's all messed up, it's going to be the turnkey company. And then they've by the time they're sort of selling this property to you, they've figured everything out. They know how much it costs, and they're going to sell it to you at a price that makes them money and also gets you, hopefully, a pretty good return. I think what I found in my experience at turnkey, you're probably going to get about a 5 to 10% return closer probably to the 5 to 8% these days than the 10%. So that that is I think the benefit of it. It's a reliable return. It's not great, but it kind of you can learn about the process in a way that's very safe. That being said, if you can do things smartly on the sort of more active side of investing and you're doing things where you're renovating yourself and pulling money out via refinance, you can get much higher returns. Infinite return, 50% return, and that's something that I've seen in my own portfolio. So once you decided that, okay, turnkey is the way for me to get started, how did you find the right operator to invest with initially? I'm sorry, you've asked that like three times and I keep on ignoring it. No, 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 I just keep on forgetting. (laughs) But basically it was through BiggerPockets. In the BiggerPockets forums, I started like looking at what had been written about turnkey operators. And I contacted people who had bought properties from them. And I sort of asked them, you know, how did things go? And I would say that nothing kind of replaces actually going and meeting the operators. So I think one of the reasons why I make up that one of the reasons why this property didn't do as well is that I didn't fly down and meet the turnkey company. I did that for the second turnkey company that I used. I actually went and saw their operations and shook their hand. And I was like, these guys are great. And that property has done much better in Little Rock. But essentially, I talked to people. I asked around. I looked up people's experiences and for reviews. And I called them and talked to them. And I think they have a good operation. Things just like did not go my way eventually three years down the road. Yeah. If anybody wants to learn more about turnkey, I'll throw in there that we did episode 29 with Whitney Hutton on turnkey properties too, if you guys want to check that out. But Daniel, how much was your plane ticket? How much did you spend to go and check out and meet this turnkey property? This is a large investment that people are making purchasing a property. And how is that value? How is that an opportunity cost for you to pay to go and fly out and meet these people? Yeah, I I think it's definitely a relevant question. I mean, I had to take off a couple of days from work, so I wasn't making money in my job. Actually, I think I got a paid vacation day or something like that. But yeah, I had to buy the plane ticket out to Little Rock. And I suffered the worst allergy attack of my life, basically flying out. The base of these guys' operation was actually Memphis. So I I flew out there. And as soon as I sat in the airplane in Los Angeles, the air from Memphis gave me the worst allergy attack of my life. I started sneezing and essentially didn't stop the entire way. 
And then I had to drug myself halfway to death. So I was able to talk to people and interact with people in Memphis. So I don't think, I don't know if I could actually ever go to Memphis again, but it was really valuable because the plane ticket, it was, I think it was about 500 bucks round trip. You know, I got an Airbnb, but for me, I had already mentally allocated that money. This was education for me. I was getting in the game and I had already cashed out those stocks, right? So I needed to figure out how to spend that money wisely. And for me, I wanted to actually sort of learn about it firsthand. I think that's something people forget about is those little tiny costs that are actually add so much value and save you so much money in the long run. And I know out-of-state investing, like the idea is to not have to go to the property and things like that. But if this is your first time, don't be afraid to spend that extra money to go and meet people firsthand, to go check out the property and make yourself feel more comfortable and confident. And then you can go ahead and purchase properties sight unseen and never actually ever see them in person. But if it makes you feel more comfortable and you really want to know who you're going to be interacting with, what the property looks like, then spend that money to go and look at a property. I just looked at a property a couple of months ago where we paid the maintenance guy on the property like a hundred bucks to take us through and tour us the property and tell us so much information. And yeah, that was a hundred dollars for a property. We didn't even know if we were going to get under contract, but we learned so much and we're able to underwrite the deal so much better because we took the time to pay this guy. And that's the same with an inspection. Like that is an opportunity cost so that you're learning as much as you can about the property and not end up, Oh, there's $20,000. I now have to spend after closing. So Add those into your number too. When you're analyzing a deal, put in your travel, put in what the Airbnb is going to cost you so that you know what your total expenses are going into this property and you actually get a better value, a better return on how much you're putting into the property of adding those costs into it. Yeah. Ashley, I was just going to say, you make a really good point, right? Because there's so many people that ask how do I get this agent to take me seriously? Or how do I, as a new investor, get this general contractor to take me seriously? Or how do I get this wholesaler to take me seriously? I have a friend who was investing. He lived in California where I'm at. He wanted to invest in Huntsville, Alabama, was having a hard time with deal flow, couldn't find anything on the MLS, was getting ghosted by a lot of wholesalers. So he finally got in contact with one and he said, hey, what do I need to do to get like on your list, like to actually be one of the people that you send deals to. And the wholesaler was like, come out here and see me. And he booked the next flight out to Huntsville, Alabama, spent the whole day with him. Then buying like nine or 10 houses from this one wholesaler. So if you want to stand out as a new investor, show that you're serious, show that you're not just going to waste their time, hop on a flight, get out there, shake their hands and, and meet in person. I, I love that advice. Ash. really, really good point. Oh yeah. So I think that is a big stumbling block early on because essentially when you're starting out, a side hustle or a new business, I think it's really tempting to try to do everything on a shoestring and not spend any money. But if you think about it, people spend money on education because it's worth it, right? And in the end, you know that that education is going to yield you a lot more return. So for me, I mentally put aside some amount of money and I chalk it up to education. You know, when I take a real estate investing course or when I fly somewhere and do sort of hands-on research, for me, that's part of an investing into the business that I know in the long run is going to net me a lot more return. 
Yeah. One more comment from you on the turnkey side, Daniel, because you mentioned, I love that you're talking about the educational component, because I think if you get with someone that's experienced with the right operator, they can be a source of education, of confidence building for you. And it's, I don't know if I should share this widely because I feel like people might steal this idea, but we're like toying with the idea of doing this in the short-term rental space, right? Like there aren't, I think a lot of, or really any that I've found so far that do this, but but for short-term rentals. So we started flipping houses in some of the markets we're in this past summer. And we're not just flipping them and making them nice, but we're flipping them, fully furnishing them, giving you like really cool Airbnb experiences. So that way, whoever purchased that house pretty much on day one can take that property live and not have to worry about, oh man, how do I rehab? How do I design? How do I get it ready for guests? So I think that there's a big opportunity there to help people break into some of these spaces with really low risk. Obviously, the the returns won't be as good as the person that found the deal and did all the work, but you're getting in with a lot less friction than what it would typically take someone. My uh, business partner, Daryl, is here and he's actively writing down your idea right now and about to launch it. (laughs) No, I think that's going to do great, Tony. Being on the sort of renovating side of a pretty big rehab right now in Palm Springs, this thing has been torturing us, you know, and I think it's going to be worth it in the end because the market is just going bonkers out there. But there are these sort of hours requirements that you need to do to get material participation in these things. Initially, when we, my wife and I first bought the property, we were like, oh, we got to make sure to get these hours. God, that is not a problem. We've been out there <laughs> yeah. so much. We've been, right. you know, this thing has been such a time suck, but it's kind of a labor of love at this point. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes and key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. So Daniel, how did you get comfortable with making that switch from turnkey to you're ready to take on a property on your own? What did that look like for you? Yeah, basically, I wanted more of the action. When I ran the numbers, I was like, this return is pretty good. But then you read about infinite returns from a good Burr property where you're buying, renovating, renting, refinancing the property yourself. And I wanted that. And I knew that to really access that, I would have to sort of do it myself. And I wanted my money to go further because, you know, when you're even buying a turnkey property at the price points in sort of the Midwest and Southeast, where you can buy a, a nice home for a hundred thousand or hundred twenty thousand dollars, that's a lot of money. That's twenty five to thirty thousand dollars that you have to plunk down. And even when you're making a really good income as a physician or surgeon, you know, you're gonna run out of capital at some point. So the most efficient way of growing your portfolio, in my opinion, is by that Burr method. And I wanted to be more efficient with my money. So when I was thinking about where to do that through bigger pockets again, I had a sort of an acquaintance down here in Southern California who was investing in Indianapolis and we met for lunch at some point. We had some like Hawaiian pizza and he talked to me about his team in Indianapolis and then he made an introduction and I was able to build my own team. I flew out there. I sort of drove around and I met a realtor. And then on that same visit, on the very last day, we found the first duplex that I purchased there, which is still sort of my like crown jewel property, I think. I love that you mentioned that you guys ate Hawaiian pizza. That's like the key takeaway from today's episode is that if you want to want to build good networks with people, you got to break out the Hawaiian pizza. So I, I want to get into, into your psyche a little bit, Darren, because it, it definitely is a lot more work, but we understand why you did it. But once you made that decision, once you found that duplex, and maybe we can use this for like our rookie rear view or our, our rookie deal review. Well, like how did you actually go about executing on that vision of buying this asset, this distressed asset, getting it renovated, placing tenants? Because I think that's the part that a lot of people struggle with is, man, I'm, I'm halfway across the country. How do I, on this part of the globe, renovate, find tenants, do all this thing on the other side of the globe? So walk us through what your process looked like. Sure. So absolutely. So basically, I had probably a half dozen conversations with these people before I ever flew out to Indianapolis. But basically, I had essentially a GC, a general contractor who was going to be able to manage the renovation that I had talked to. And my friend had used him. So I knew that he was trustworthy. And I had a, a real estate agent who was sort of younger, hungrier to build sort of her business. And when I flew out there, I met with both of them and I basically communicated. One of the biggest things that I wanted to do in that visit was to communicate to both of these people that I was serious. I painted to them the vision of my portfolio in five or 10 years, which was going to be, I jokingly on my blog, I call it my real estate empire. I want an empire of real estate property. I painted that picture. I said, look, I have assets that I'm 
willing to invest, this is where I want to get to. I would love for you to be a part of that. And I think that really kind of helped sort of give us all the trust to kind of move forward. And then on the on the last day of my real estate investor, uh, real estate agent, just kind of showing me around, this one property came on the MLS. It popped up and she called me and I was sort of getting ready to go to the airport, but I just was like, okay, I'm right by here. So I just drove by it. I looked at it. I couldn't go in, but I said, okay, so let's make an offer. Let's get it under contract. And just within an hour of it going onto the MLS, we had it under contract and things just kind of started from there. That's so awesome. That's really exciting, especially being in the city when you are looking to invest and you get your first property before you even leave. <laughs> yeah, it was really exciting. And, and then basically I could go into numbers now or I can kind of talk more broadly about it. What do you think? No, yeah, let's go into the numbers of it. Okay, so this was a, a duplex and it was just east of downtown Indianapolis in an area that is kind of rapidly up and coming called Arsenal Heights or Holy Cross. And basically it was listed for $165,000 and there were three bedrooms on both sides. And the purchase price, we actually, looking back at this now, this would never happen today, but we offered $157,000 and we got it under contract at that price. Right now you have to offer usually 10% above what the list price is and there are bidding wars. But this was, I guess, about two and a half years ago. How were you uh, financing this deal? Were you using cash from your, your stocks or what did you use? I used a loan. So I got a loan on it, but I put a down payment of, I believe, 25% since it was a duplex. And yeah, I was using cash to finance a down payment. And then I got a loan for the rest of it. So with the closing costs, it was about $161,000 total to like buy the property, including the loan. And it was in pretty good shape. Like I didn't have to do much to the roof and some of the floor was messed up. One of the bathrooms was really weird. So we did a pretty thorough renovation actually, where we gave it a complete facelift, painted everything. We granite countertops. We completely redid one of the bathrooms. Both of the kitchens were essentially completely upgraded, all new appliances. And it looked really sharp when we were done with it. And that cost about $68,000 or $69,000. And that just blew my mind coming from Los Angeles where you fix your bathroom and it costs $30,000 to where you can renovate a duplex in Indianapolis for 70000 That just blew my mind. So Daniel, when you purchased this property, did you get this budgeted out before or did you decide to do the rehab after you purchased it? And then where did you kind of draw the line? Like, so you said you put in granite countertops and at least near me, if you put in granite countertops in a lot of the places, you're not going to get that value back. You can't increase rents high enough to cover that kind of cost of putting these high-end finishes. How did you make that decision of what's too much, what's over upgrading the property as to where you're going to get that sweet spot where you can raise the rent and you're getting a nice property? Yeah, great question. So basically, I had everything plugged into sort of a cash-on-cash -cash return calculator. So using my real estate agent there, she also does property management. So I essentially asked her, this is what I'm thinking with the property. What do you think we can get for rents? So she projected a rent and my contractor there walked the property and basically gave us a quote. And he said, this is what it's going to cost to renovate both units. And using that information and knowing how much I put into the property, I was able to generate sort of a projected return. And that was a projected return sort of without the refinance portion. Just if I renovated it, put in the money and rented it, what was my return going to be? And I was targeting 10% or higher. So 
my real estate agent thought that if we did the stainless steel appliances and the granite countertops, we would access a little bit of higher return because there's actually a lot of sort of like young professionals in that area because it's right near downtown Indianapolis where there's like Salesforce and all those things. So there was definitely a market for that. In some places around Indianapolis, definitely you're not going to really get your money back if you go that high end. But she thought we would and she was right. So what does it look like today? What are the rents and what is the property value at right now? So basically what I was able to do is after about six months after I renovated the property and got it all tenanted, I went for a refinance and it was appraised for $256,000. So it was pretty good. So basically we were able to cash out refi almost all of the money and at the end of the day, I only had $14,000 left in the deal. So 70% of that new appraisal amount was given back to me as a check. And I used it to pay off almost all of the initial investment and the initial loan. And then when you count that against the rent that we were getting and including things like vacancy, property management, maintenance, property taxes, our return projected was 62%. Daniel, that is great. What did you say the value was again? Two hundred sixty-six thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay, so you have fourteen thousand dollars into a property that's valued at two hundred fifty-six thousand. I think so many times people get hung up that you should have all your money back out, and that's the only way to do a burr. But only having fourteen thousand dollars into a house that for two hundred fifty-six thousand—that is awesome. That is a great burr. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I was super like happy with this. And basically this was proof of concept to me. Cause like I'm a surgeon, I'm a numbers guy. So basically I needed to have proof of concept to really go all in. And I also wanted my wife to come on board. So this whole time, this took about a year, right? And this whole time I was doing it on my own. My wife was like looking at me with sort of skeptical expressions all the time when I was talking about what I was doing because she's also a spreadsheet person. So basically when I was able to show this and I showed her the returns that we we're projected to get, she was like, okay, all right, I think I get it now. And actually she's been my partner ever since in the real estate investing as well. A couple of things ended up being a little bit more expensive than projected. The property tax went up a little more than we thought. And you know, I think one of the water heaters went out. So, but consistently over the last two years, we've been able to get about 50% return from this property, which is not as good as that 62 that we projected, but how can you not be happy with a 50% return on your money? Daniel, this is like, what an amazing first burr for you. And I think hopefully you're just inspiring a lot of other people that they can do the same thing from multiple, multiple states away. I guess my, my last comment on the burr, were there any lessons that you learned throughout that process that you applied to the next burr and more like tactical, we'll talk about mindset in a minute, but more like tactical things like I missed this and we were doing the scope of work or I should have priced the property at this. Like what are some tactical things you learned? So I, I think the biggest takeaway that this has just been a dream property. Now it's something that's going to go wrong with it, knock on wood. But what I have learned from the other properties is that you don't want to skimp on the inspection part. As I learned in one of the next duplexes that I purchased, you know, it was a wholesale deal. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy it cash anyway. I don't need an inspection. My contractor walked it. I wish I'd paid for the inspection because, and I wish I'd scoped the sewer because both of those things ended up being problematic. There were things wrong with the plumbing that we didn't foresee. There were things wrong with the sewer line. So that ended up being sort of an expensive lesson. And I would say that was kind of the takeaway, but it's more on the second or third deal. It's a really, really great point. One that I think a lot of rookies need to hear. We, on all of our single, really on any purchase we make, we always get an inspection as well. 
And if we find something that's far above and beyond what we had originally scoped out for our scope of work, we're going to ask for some kind of price reduction, right? And, and we hope that the sellers are reasonable and willing and understand that those kind of things uh, can happen. So not only does the property inspection help you, I think, preemptively take down certain problems or at least plan for them appropriately, but it also could give you a, a price break on the property to, to you know, get it at a, at a slightly discounted rate. So Daniel, congratulations, man. Like what an amazing first bird. Thank you for sharing those, those lessons with us, man. So I just want to kind of keep rolling with the portfolio really quickly and then we'll, we'll talk mindset. But you said you bought that first property two and a half years ago. Is that, did I hear that correctly? I think that's about right. Yeah. It was about two and a half. Actually, is it three years ago now? Yeah, it's somewhere in that ballpark, right? Two, yeah, three somewhere years in the ballpark. Right? I, I feel like I've been a real estate investor forever, but it's actually only been a few years. <laughs> but now you're you're in the 20s, approaching 30 units, which is absolutely amazing, man. So I just there's a certain level of momentum that comes along with being a real estate investor that I, I really want to make sure we highlight because there's so much effort and energy and courage and time and patience and failure that goes into that first deal. But once you get that first deal done, you don't have to start all over. You can carry that momentum into the second deal, into the third deal, into the fifth deal, into the 20th, the 20th deal, into the 30th deal. So the, the most important thing for the rookies that are listening right now is to focus as much of your attention, as much of, of your energy as you can into getting that first deal done. And then hopefully three and a half years later, three years later, you can be like Daniel and be at like 20, almost almost 30 doors because that's, that's an amazing journey, man. So I want to go back though to Daniel three years ago before you got that first deal, before you were burning houses halfway across the country and, and knocking it out the park. What were some of the misconceptions that you had about being a real estate investor? What were some things that you assumed to be true that turned out to be false? I'd say one that comes to mind is that real estate investors are kind of sketchy individuals who don't have the interests of their tenants in mind. You know, when I make like a TikTok video about real estate investing, a lot of my comments are like, real estate investors are awful. You're kind of like parasites to humanity. And I think that's totally, totally BS. I think that Real estate investors, and this is my approach in life in general, if you properly incentivize everyone, everyone can win. And I, I think I really believe that. So when I have a property and my property manager is the same way, when something's going wrong, you can fix that as quickly as possible for the tenant. You can basically do everything you can to make it a great experience for the tenant. And you don't have to be that typical sort of what the general public might think of as a real estate investor, which is essentially a slumlord, right? That doesn't have to be you. You can make a good profit. You can have great properties and provide awesome housing. And you can actually support the economy in a way that you can't do in your W-2 job, right? In a W-2 job, you're kind of working and helping your company. But as a real estate investor, you're employing dozens and dozens of people. You're employing like real estate lenders and brokers and contractors, electricians, plumbers, and you're providing a great place and supporting the housing market. So that I would say is the biggest mindset or realization that you can be an ethical, good influence on society as a real estate investor. Daniel, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I'm also glad that you mentioned TikTok because people on TikTok are very angry. <laughs> and my wife and I, we get a lot of hate on TikTok as well. But you know, I, I think like with any profession, 
there's good and there's bad. And you prove that just because there are some out there that are giving us a bad name on TikTok doesn't necessarily mean that that's the path you have to follow as well. So you can be whatever kind of landlord you want. So if you guys are on TikTok, try and find the, the positivity there, not so much the negativity. Also, if you're on TikTok, follow me and my wife. We're at The Real Estate Robinsons. Um, and if you're on Instagram, follow me, Tony J. Robinson. Ashley's at Wealth From Rentals. And there's lots of nice people on both of those social media platforms talking about all the good that real estate investing is doing. I only have like a hundred followers on TikTok, so I don't get hate <laughs> yeah. comments yet. I don't get any comments yet. Give, give us some time. <laughs> give us some time. Daniel, what is uh, your TikTok? So I, all of my sort of social media and my blog is the Darwinian Doctor on Instagram, the Darwinian Doctor on TikTok, as in just it's the Darwinian Doctor, all one word, and add .com for my blog. It's not the easiest sort of name. But when I was thinking about sort of what I was going to try to achieve, I wanted to evolve into a real estate investor. I wanted to evolve into a sort of a personal finance wizard. And so I thought it sort of epitomized my sort of journey. Yeah. We'll make sure you guys check out Daniel's social media. I'm going to take us right now to the rookie request line. Today's question is from Landon. If you guys want to call and leave us a voicemail that we will play on the show, you can call 1-888-5-ROOKIE. Okay, so here's today's question. Hi, this is Landon, and I'm calling from Anchorage, Alaska. I have a fourplex up here, and I'm house hacking it for my first property, so I'm just getting started. But I had a question regarding using other people's money. I've heard so many podcast episodes and guests talk about the power of utilizing other people's money for investing. I recently met a doctor, and he has another friend who's a and investing with someone who knows a little bit about real estate. And they're turning to me to ask those questions and potentially partner up in the future. And I just wanted to ask, what are some great ways to structure a partnership and also present the partnership in a profitable way to these people that are really just bringing the money to the table? And how can I add the most value to them as the investors to, I guess, both be mutually benefited? Thank you. I think that's a great question. And first of all, I want to congratulate him for doing a house hack because that's a fantastic way to get into real estate investing. And OPM, other people's money, it's like people... I think use this as a catchphrase, but essentially, I think a lot of real estate gurus out there are saying, invest 100% with other people's money. Don't put any of your money in, you know? And I, I think that other people's money doesn't necessarily have to be money from a person, you know? It can be money from a bank. So when you're using a mortgage, you're also using OPM, right? In this scenario, though, you have a typical scenario, I think, that is going to be awesome. It sounds like this investor has a bit more time on his hands and a bit more sort of hustle. And he has some partners who have funds, but not necessarily time. So it's like a marriage made in heaven, right? He can basically look for deals. He can do the legwork to find them and get them under contract and maybe manage renovations. And he could utilize the cash flow that his partners have and there's ways to structure it so that they make a great return, but he also is able to grow his portfolio and benefit from that growth in a way that benefits everyone. So again, basically incentivizing both sides. One comment for me on on the OPM piece is that you can also structure this land in as just like a, a debt-based partnership. It doesn't necessarily have to be an equity-based partnership. So if you just say, hey, private money person, I'm going to pay you 10% interest 
paid out monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever it is, that's another way to structure the deal. So that way they don't necessarily worry about how well the asset's performing because you're just contractually obligated to pay them a specific return. So there's no right or wrong answer on structuring the partnership land. So hopefully that, that works for you. Darren, you've been knocking out the park, brother. We really appreciate everything that you've uh, you've brought to the table here so far. As we wrap it up, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our Ricky Rockstars. And today's Ricky Rockstar is from our Real Estate Ricky Facebook group, which is, I don't even know, almost 40,000 people strong at this point. Truly one of the most active, one of the most engaged Facebook groups out there. So if you guys haven't joined, please make sure you do that. But today's Ricky Rockstar is Bethany T., And Bethany said that she's excited to get a nice big check from their first flip today, uh, that she's amazed at the power of real estate. Uh, They couldn't have done it without the group, the Bigger Pockets group, but they bought it for $100,000. The rehab only took six weeks. They were able to sell it for $165,000 and they had a few costs, holding costs, things like that, but they ended up profiting a total of $39,410 dollars. Like that's a lot of people's salaries, right? So to be able to make that on one transaction in six weeks is amazing. So Bethany, big congratulations to you. That is awesome, Bethany. Congratulations. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you let everyone know again where they can reach out to you on your social media or your website or anywhere else? Yeah, absolutely. I would say one of the best places to find me is at my blog, the darwiniandoctor.com. And it has like three years of my sort of ravings about medicine, about personal finance, and now a lot of interesting sort of real estate content. And I'm also on Instagram at the Darwinian Doctor, and I have a pretty amusing TikTok account now with some pretty interesting content there about personal finance and real estate, and it's uh, growing rapidly. So that's all. Also, the Darwinian Doctor. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, sharing your story, and providing so much value to us and the listeners. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And lastly, before we close out, here's a final word about how bigger pockets can provide you value right now. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.